This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. And we are coming to you absolutely live from the Victorian Pride Centre in this Joy's actually 31st year. This is Saturday Magazine, Joy 94.9's longest running news and current affairs show since 1996 and we proudly bring you this 16th day of December 2023 edition of Saturday Magazine. Paul is on panel, James is on the front desk working the phones furiously. (laughs) Let's get on with it, a great show today with some great guests and my co-host is the Macedonian Marvel... Nevena Sparovska. Good morning, Nevena. Good morning, Maka. I'm going to have to check that Peter Dacos never trademarked that because oh. I could get myself in trouble. Well, He's the original Macedonian marvel. Well, yes, but uh, I'm being gender specific here. <laughs> <laughs> if I can. <laughs> oh, what a week. It has been a ferocious week. I'm completely calm. Five minutes ago I wasn't. Uh, I was trying to resolve some travel issues and other things and I really have sympathy with people, you know, that ring call centres and get a less than satisfactory result or then do the online chat where, yeah, so anyway. And I equally have sympathy with the poor call centre workers who who on these legacy systems who are just caught between a rock and an even harder place and usually an angry customer. It's really a no-win situation for anyone. It's when they say, oh, you know, we at XXXX, (laughs) or perhaps a company name that most people think it ends in X, but not Twitter. When they say, oh, you know, we really value and, you know, we want to, you know, we do our best for you. Yeah, well, let me know when that starts. Anyway. <laughs> Who's on the show today, Matt? We have today? a really interesting show today. We do. So, uh, Associate Professor, so you're an ASPRO. That's correct. Is an ASPRO. James McMahon from the Alfred. And we're going to talk about a whole lot of stuff around HIV and some initiatives that the Alfred are involved in and, and the work that they're doing. Going to be a long, long, interesting discussion, I hope. Then, Lawrence Gibbons. Uh, 45 years of Star Observer and why Australia still needs its pink press. Then Alexander Tay, President of the Australian GLBTIQ Multicultural Council. And you're going to talk about their mission and their activities. Uh, It's pretty good, that. They do some really, really good work. Then Cam Wilson, Associate Editor of Crikey. I want to talk about neo-Nazis and other online extremism, some of it in chat rooms with credit card companies. Uh, then, <laughs> no, I had to say that. Why not? Uh, and I didn't name them. Mr. Then Nasha Mashney, who is the president of the Australian-Palestine Advocacy Network. And this follows on. We had a chat with Hila Peer from Aguda in Israel, and that's an LGBTQI advocacy and welfare organisation and that was that perspective was from uh, a member of our community in Israel and the challenges that they face and their advocacy and their support for our fellow community members regardless of race, religion, location. 
And that was a really interesting chat. So not another side of the coin, but, you know, a different part of the coin. How's that? Uh, now, winner of the 2023 Human Rights Medal, Australian Human Rights Award. I'm going to get you to pronounce that because I am hopeless. That's fine. That's Juliana Nakma um, AM. So we look forward to speaking with her about the award. That was just awarded last week, Maka. Yes. So it'll be very interesting to delve deeper into her advocacy, her background, and what she sees as her platform for the next year. Yes. Then uh, closing with Professor Zach Cooper, who's a researcher and lecturer at Amsterdam Law and Technology Institute. We're going to talk about uh, discussion on AI and AI-enabled disinformation and the complications of legislating around AI. I wonder whether legislators are going to use chatbots to write the bills. <laughs> well, we could uh, ask that to Professor Cooper. Yeah. But this is going to be a really interesting show. And if you want to participate, if you want to give us your feedback or you have a question for one of our guests, respectfully, you can text us on 0427 569 949. That's 0427 JOY 949. So there we go. Uh, so welcome, Asbro, Associate Professor James <laughs> McMahon. And I say Asbro because a name you probably know or you've heard, Tass Musferiatis, uh, was previously chair of Star Health and I think currently chair of Eastern Health. But he was the one who said, no, 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 Macca, they're called Aspros. So there you go. So welcome, James. How are you? I'm very well, yeah. And um, yeah, Aspro, what a wonderful medication when you've got a migraine too. <laughs> yes. So I've used plenty of Aspros yeah. over the years, yeah. It's, uh, I dare say so have you, Macca, on some of those Saturday mornings <laughs> yeah, or after well, speaking actually, with no, those. More like a Sunday morning. But, um, <laughs> so we've just, uh, you know, passed another World AIDS Day, James, and I think it's important to remember that in Australia we're in a – uh, perhaps not fortunate, not right the word, but an advantageous position around HIV/AIDS in terms of uh, people living with HIV/AIDS, the medications, the effectiveness with PrEP, you know, with uh, low, you know, with low level, low levels of um, what's the transmission, transmission, and you know, low, you know, and detection. So I think. You know, that's a real positive. And, of course, the Alfred has been at the forefront of so much of the work and so much of the support and so much of the research around HIV and AIDS. So I want to thank you and your colleagues for that because it's actually world class. We lead the world in so many areas. I'd like you to update us about what have you guys been up to recently? What are some of the initiatives you're, you're working on? Yeah, thanks, Macca. That's very generous comments. Um, oh, I can take them back if you like. <laughs> <laughs> no refunds uh, policy. No yeah, refund. I mean, it's funny you mentioned World AIDS Day. It's a, an amazing day every year. I love it going to World AIDS Day. And we had some wonderful events in Victoria and Canberra I was, up, I was lucky enough to go to. And it taps into a lot of what you were saying. A big part of World AIDS Day is obviously to remember people who've died and gone before. Yes. But also to really acknowledge all the hard work done by so many people to have such a successful response historically in Australia. Uh, we do have access to treatment. You know, people do, by and large, have access to prevention and testing. So we are extremely fortunate in Australia. But that said, we use something like World AIDS Day to say, yeah, let's double down on our efforts. Let's, yes. let's keep fighting the good fight. Let's improve the outcomes of people with HIV 
and work towards trying to eliminate transmission. So, um, uh, it's a in some respects it's a it's a very emotional day, but sometimes there's um, a lot of positive things we do to come out of it. And one of the big things that's going on in Australia is obviously maximising the lives of people with HIV, and they can live long, healthy lives. But there is a big effort to try and prevent new diagnoses of HIV, and that's probably one of the Achilles heels left in Australia and lots of parts of the world to try and identify people at risk and get access to testing and prevention therapies like Mm. PrEP, for example. You've really touched on something important there, which is we come together on the 1st of December, we commemorate the efforts and the people that have come before us, but it, it is that moment to say, the work is not done yet. There are still so much efforts in Australia that are being coordinated internationally um, and our part in that as well. So do you use that day to also use that as the conversation to say this is the path forward? Absolutely. We're very lucky in Australia. We have fantastic engagement from government, actually. We have engagement from community and clinicians, researchers. But, for example, Health Minister Butler um, started an HIV-specific task force and that was announced last year and that was, you know, you can't get higher than the federal health minister um, and showing that commitment to HIV. It's a specific task force. There's specific resources deployed to identify the priorities. And when he's chairing that committee and he's in making those announcements, you know you can't get more commitment from government than that. So um, that's a great way to um, list the priorities and identify the things that we need to be doing and getting everyone on the same path. And, you know, the reality is it's the best way for us to get resources as much as we can to do the things we need to do to, um, as I said, improve the lives of people with HIV, but really work towards that as low as possible. The virtu- We call it the virtual elimination yeah. of the transmission of HIV in Australia. Yep. Do you think, James, I mean, we've seen and and uh, last week we were speaking with Simon Ruth from Thorn Harbour and you know, one of the initiatives of Thorn Harbour, where they're, some work they're doing in South Australia was, which I, I love this, the uh, vending machines mm. with, uh, you know, instant tests. Specifically for international students for international- who may not be able to access these testing. But further, if uh, they're paying for private health insurance, yes. it means that other family members can't see that. So it provides yep. a bit of privacy and dignity in being able to explore that. And, you know, Simon said that uh, since they commenced that till sort of basically now, there were actually uh, five positive tests. So there were five people that perhaps didn't know or, you know, were wondering how they're going to access a test that now, you know, they could do that. And I think that's a, a great initiative. But the role of of technology but also engagement and making services available that's been a huge part of our success, hasn't it? Absolutely. Huge shout out to Simon and Thorn Harbour. Yep. They're, they're another great example of, um, of us all working together and we've got wonderful community-based orgs in, in Australia, particularly Melbourne. Um, but yeah, that, so what you're getting at there with the vending machine testing, we need to be novel and innovative in a way we can identify people with HIV that works best for them. Mm. So you're talking about a scenario where someone may have difficulty accessing testing in a normal pattern of getting a clinical service. Um, But if we can provide new ways, home-based testing obviously has started here and we probably need to expand that um, ways in which people can get tests. Because every person you can diagnose with HIV, they then can get access to um, treatment, they can prevent transmission of HIV, and that all works towards helping that person 
but also helping the, the, the global issue in terms of um, new diagnoses of HIV. Do you think, James, that, or, you know, I'm, what I'm saying here is I think that the reason that there's, there has been great political support, bipartisan support almost predominantly, you know, for the actions that we take in HIV is some of the discussions, I won't call them arguments, in the 80s were that then it was estimated that the average cost, bear in mind much more treatment then, much more complex treatment, the average cost of treating someone with HIV AIDS in their life was at least $300,000. So the case was made for education that that was, you know, a cheaper alternative to reducing infection and education. So what we do now in terms of education and prevention, do you see some new opportunities to enlarge that? Because I think people, I don't think people, a lot of people don't think about HIV. So it's sort of getting that. That's I mean, education is critical, isn't it? Mm. And we've got some very educated communities, right? So we might have um, communities of very health literate in HIV and sexually transmitted infections and testing. They've got other communities that might not. So um, pointed out before, you know, the cl- another issue that Student, we are yeah. is students, right? So we may have um, students coming to Australia. Um, uh, they might be from LGBTIQ communities. They've not been able to experience that life they come to Australia and suddenly they are that's obviously a thing that can can be done um, and they may um, uh, have increased sexual contact for example but they don't really under have all that information about testing HIV diagnosis mm. and then we can be making those diagnoses after they've become or even pre- or even prep correct prep sorry yeah, pre- absolutely prep and um, um, so get identifying the populations that we need to get to the highest risk um, and, and giving them and educating, whether that's in own language, you know, the yeah. languages that are specific, the environments, whether that's at educational facilities, for example, whether it's via the private health providers that are providing their private health insurance. There's all sorts of ways we should be thinking about accessing people at the highest risk of acquiring HIV or who already have HIV yeah. and, need, and need to get a test, for example. Yeah. So, yeah, it's critical. Now, hold that thought because we're going to go to a quick break. You are on Saturday Magazine Joy 94.9. We're with Associate Professor James McMahon from The Alfred. You are on Saturday Magazine with Nevena and Macca. We're having a really interesting discussion. Uh, we've got our guest in the studio. Macca, let's keep going. Look, really briefly, I did, I did ask James, our guest, just do you think we'll ever know the where HIV AIDS started but also where COVID started? Yeah, um, for sake of, I don't want to be stalked by uh, COVID no, no. conspiracy theorists. <laughs> no, no, but no. I'll, I'll, there is there certainly is evidence based theories for both, yeah. and um, certainly the origins of HIV story is, is is a fascinating one, and it's really the origins are probably from West Central Africa, mm-hmm. um, and scientists because um, uh, HIV is always related to an um, a virus in apes or monkeys. They're yep. always and it's a crossover, and that occurred probably in that area when that form. Um, uh, monkeys and apes were f- commonly eaten. And if right. you were someone who would go and find it, it was called bushmeat, you'd have enormous exposure to the blood when you would um, of course. Uh, slaughter yeah. that animal. So that's the, that's the way it was thought to have, 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 have come over into humans. And then researchers, would you believe, went back into um, uh, the Congo and the, the old medical schools and found people who died in like the 1950s wow. and 60s 
and the, and the specimens of their organs, which are kept for medical students, right, to study, okay? And they found these bits of lymph nodes and things kept from cancers that were studied in these patients from 50, 60 years ago, and they did advanced techniques, and they found little bits of HIV in wow. some of these patients. Wow. So they could work out that there were people in those areas 20, 30 years before HIV was actually first recognised in Los Angeles in 1981, mm. that um, and then the movement of people from Africa, um, because there's obviously a lot of African American people, yep. and then it was moved from there. And as people, the, the uh, as planes and trains and automobiles yeah. came to yes. West Central Africa and a hundred years ago, people started moving. Wow! And then you come to Haiti and you come to the US and then Europe and then um, there were people discovered who'd who'd been sailors, for example. Um, who had visited that part of Africa and had died in the UK in about 1950. And they had discovered mm. that the reason they had died probably historically mm. was HIV. So anyway, that's a fascinating story, I think, about... Nothing like evidence-based. We like that. Evidence-based. Yes, and, um, and then COVID, there's a lot of theories, obviously, about COVID, but the... Um, uh, the most the the theory that I um, and the evidence would support that it did cross over from animals to humans right. um, in the region of Wuhan um, because of the the close proximity of the animals to the humans and the the nature of where those animals and humans were in that market in Wuhan at the time the first cases were recognised. But there's an enormous amount that's been oh, done yes. and media that has gone into that. But oh yeah. Um, anyway, there but the the movement of we're getting a bit nerdy, but the movement of viral infections from animals to humans is a fascinating, uh, it's a fascinating story for all of our histories and will be to come. To there come. will inevitably be infections that move between um, humans and animals, animals to humans for forever. Yeah. So. On a slightly different note, but it's really interesting to have that context mm. and to have that history because we've been through the swine flu, the avian flu. There's all those different threads that come together. And like you said, it's going to be something that we continue to deal with for many years to come. But some of the research that you've been doing at the Alfred is walking towards what a HIV cure might look like. Could you tell us a bit about what is happening at the moment and what that path forward might be? Yeah, we're very fortunate in Melbourne to have access to wonderful laboratories and clinical groups that do this research, including at the Alfred, and HIV can't be cured. Um, the virus hides out. The immune system can't see the last little bits of it left, and if we stop treatment, the virus will re-emerge. So the, the trials are really about giving medications that try and either get the HIV to appear so the immune system can see it and then try and remove it, or giving medications that hype up the immune system and make the immune system more alert to, to things like viruses. So we're doing those trials at the Alfred at the moment. We're sort of, at the moment, the ones actually are focusing more on those immune-stimulating uh, drugs. The drugs actually are largely from cancer. So there's actually a sort of a, an interesting... What's the parallels Yeah, there? the parallels. So if you've got, if you've got say, you've got a cancer, say melanoma or breast cancer or something, and it's spread around your body... The initial surgeries and treatments get rid of the most of it, yeah. And what you what you want to get that last little bit mm. to stop it coming back, and you be cured of cancer. So the drugs actually hype up your immune system all the time to right. find those last little bits of cancer and eliminate it. And it's been a huge advance in cancer therapy. But there's a similar thing with HIV. There's not much HIV actually left in people with HIV on treatment. The immune system's having trouble getting rid of it. But if we give a medication to pump up the response, we might be able to do it now. No one's been cured of these treatments at the mm. moment, um, but the research is really looking to understand if these drugs can 
get at it. If you like, get at that last bit of HIV and try and see if we can we can bend the needle um, that way. And then we might need to do combinations of these different medications to get to a point whereby you could get an individual with HIV to not need their normal antiviral treatment because their immune system is doing the job. And in fact, there are people with HIV that that already naturally happens in. They mm. control their virus to very low levels without the need for treatment. Um, so it's sort of trying to mimic um, those rarer people with HIV that control the virus already. And in this research that you're doing at the moment, not only uh, obviously you're an active part of it, but you're in the research itself. So you're a participant. Could you tell us a little bit more uh, about yeah, that? Yeah, that's right. So we did that. This funniest came out. So I, uh, being a clinical researcher, I'm always very happy to do any clinical research <laughs> because if you don't, then you I sort of feel like, you know, you've got to know what it's all about. So um, so for some of our studies, we need people to be control subjects or undergo the procedures that the participants will undergo to make sure they're safe and that they're well tolerated and then the assays work. So in this example of this study, what we do actually is we take the needle goes into a lymph node in your groin and gets bits of the lymph node out because that's where the action is in terms of HIV. It likes to hang out lymph nodes. So yes, I and... Um, uh, a colleague of mine, we as we underwent these procedures and they sucked all the lymph nodes, the cells out of our lymph nodes, and they looked at it and worked out that the tests we're going to do on those lymph node cells work. So we go, right, we can now confidently go on and say to the participants, we're going to do the same thing to you and we know that the cells we're going to get out works. And to be honest, the other great thing about it is when you've done it yourself, the process of contending someone and saying, this is what you're going to be in for, I, I, I can really tell you this is what happens because I actually did it myself and um, you really can say, look, yeah, it's uncomfortable, for example, but it's it's brief and you'll recover from it pretty quickly. So, yeah, I actually think it's a real privilege to be able to go through that process and sort of do that ride, if you like, with the participants in the studies as well. So it's a real privilege. Though not very in vogue at the moment, we are seeing a massive surge in COVID, uh, especially across Victoria again, and you have a background in infectious diseases. What should people be looking out for and how do we try and get that health promotion messaging in when people do have such COVID messaging fatigue? Yeah, it's it's a real issue, isn't it? I mean, everyone's over COVID, aren't they? I mean, everyone wants us to get back to normal life. But the reality is there's, um, there's hundreds and hundreds of people in Victorian hospitals with COVID. Um, and some of them die. And what we can do to protect those vulnerable people, which are normally older people or people with severe immune compromise is really important. So I would encourage people to get their vaccines if they're recommended. And there's good guidance. There's vaccines that are in your GPs and your pharmacies everywhere. And there is antiviral medicines, which can limit the spread of it. Um, and they're recommended for people that are, again, older with medical conditions. So um, uh, and then if you've got COVID, you know, maybe keeping it home for the five days like the guidance mm. recommends. I mean, we've gone beyond the public health legislation where people are legislated and it's required. But um, I think most people do, most people don't want to infect other people. You know, we, we want to keep out of trouble. So being able to keep away from people if you've got COVID, if you think you might have COVID, get a test. It's just So it's, it's just all the simple stuff we did, but some of those things have obviously fallen away with the fatigue, the testing, the getting the vaccines. But those staying things at will, home, the wearing staying a at mask. Home, yeah, yeah, maybe don't go to the party when you've got COVID, for example. So um, that's all the good public health messaging yeah. and the simple stuff. So I just focus on those core things and it will, um, it will help the health system, I can tell you, and it will obviously help people who are at risk of getting bad outcomes from COVID. Monkeypox. Yes. We're we're <laughs> let's we're, go. We're gonna go. We're gonna run all the viruses. Let's yeah, go. yeah. We're, we're having a virus feast here. 
Where are we with, with that, James? Um, you know, do you have a handle on uh, how many people are, are getting the vaccination and, and cases that are coming up? What, what's happening? Yeah. So officially it's called MPOX now. Oh. Uh, so, yeah, they changed the name. They love to they, – oh. there's, the, there's the classification people. So, like, you know, SARS was called NCOV-19 uh, – COVID was called NCOV-19 for a while and then – it's now officially SARS-CoV-2, et cetera, et cetera. So MPOX is um, – there was a huge surge, obviously, um, and uh, we have very, very low levels of MPOX in Australia. But the really important thing, we do have the odd case still. Yeah. And it is often related to travel. Um, and there have been recently, for example, there have been larger numbers in Indonesia, larger yeah. numbers in China, um, uh, South Central America. So there are regional areas where you get bursts of it. And if you can imagine, if you're travelling through those areas oh. and coming back, you know, it's possible. So Absolutely. for the clinical, for now, as the doctor point of view, if people have got, you know, lesions or consistent with it, we've got to test. Yeah. And and then if someone knows, it's the same thing. If yeah. someone knows they've got MPOX, they, you know, they're going to limit their sexual activity by and large. And that's what actually was probably the big intervention that led to the big drop-off. Yes. The messaging got out there. Yeah. People moderated their activity and we saw a huge reduction in notifications. And we're lucky enough that we have a vaccine that's quite efficacious as well. And, and available. And good supplies. Yes, too. we have it. Correct. Yes. So is it uh, the outlook for the future, James, you know, the work you do and uh, is so important. Do you have anything on a wish list? <laughs> hmm. I don't know if the health minister's listening, but if, <laughs> but, but if you are. Oh, any, well, uh, well uh, the, uh, if uh, the health uh, minister's listening, we need yes. a lot more funding for HIV, COVID <laughs> cure research. Anyway, um, so, no, um, a wish list. I think that we, we just want to maintain this energy and optimism towards HIV cure, for example. Uh, we want to maintain a focus on, for example, COVID research because it's going to be with us forever. Yeah. And we need to be understanding the best ways to protect people from getting COVID. For example, with a lot of protecting people with HIV yeah. from getting severe outcomes with COVID. So um, we do need engagement from governments, funding bodies, um, and most, probably most importantly, our communities, our affected communities. And we're very lucky to have those core elements mm. all here in Victoria and Australia. So long may that continue. And I think the good work will continue. Yep. I just want to do a call out to your colleague, Gillian uh, Lau, who's not with us today. She's... Uh, not 100%. She made the right decision, you know, to stay away. Uh, thank you, Gillian. And James, thank you so much for your work. Um, it's great, you know, evidence-based and, you know, clearly your passion for the work you do. And all this work saves lives. And that ultimately has to be the best health outcome, doesn't it? Absolutely. And look, you very generous comments, but it's clearly a, we're an enormous team, you know, oh, that yeah. have gone before us in the, at the Alfred and all these great clinical providers and, and researchers um, we have with us. But, no, it's um, it, I'm extraordinarily lucky to be working in this field, I'm extraordinarily lucky to be working with people with HIV. They're a wonderful community, mm. um, and yet long may that continue. Thanks again. We've been speaking with Associate Professor James McMahon, otherwise known as an ASPRO, from The Alfred. You are on Saturday Magazine, Joy 94.9. Stay with us. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast, brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.